Hi, I'm Kim. And I'm Shun. And today we've got the wonderful Sarah Buckholtz. Um, along with her creative partner, Jordan Shoto, makes up with a female group creative director duo at Forsman and Bowdoin Force Agency in New York City. In her role, she helps define the work that the agency puts out into the world and behind the scenes how that work gets created. Sarah is an outspoken human, an avid gender equality and diversity supporter, stand-up comedian, gamer, movie memorabilia, a collector and she's the proud owner of Patrick Swayze's Roadhouse Pants I've seen them and lives in Williamsburg with her dog Toasty oh so cute welcome so, Sarah thank you we want to ask Sarah about how she navigates her dual careers advertising day job and her sidekick as a stand-up comedian and share any lessons learned along the way <laughs> take us back tell us a little bit about younger sarah where you grew up how you felt in your own skin as a young girl a teenager and if there were things that shaped your life from your early childhood sure yeah i grew up on uh, on a small island north of seattle about 45 minutes it's called kameno island mm. um there's some bigger islands in Washington State. Woodby Island is one people hear a lot about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Woodby Island is kind of like a big C shape and Kamano Island is like a smaller spoon tucked within Woodby. So it's, there's, so there's, there's spooning? A, there's spooning, yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of islands up there. Uh, it's a bridge island. You have to mm-hmm. take a ferry to get there. The island was ranked by Business Insider like three years ago as one of like the top ten places in America to retire. <laughs> so, to give you a sense of yeah. the demographics <laughs> nice. about growing up there. But yeah, growing up there, there, this high school I went to is probably about 1,200 kids, maybe. But it was mm-hmm. all from this like really spread out rural community. You know, if you were if you had a friend on the south end of the island, it maybe took you 40 minutes to get to the south end of the island. Or you could have a friend in town, and then it's like an hour or so, depending <sighs> on traffic. So it's like, it was pretty, it, you know, pretty spread out and could get really remote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of diversity. I don't know that anyone I went to high school with was outwardly like out. You know, I think like demographic-wise, it was mostly white kids, a lot of Mormons, a lot of Catholics. Huh. Um, we, we had two black students. One was an exchange student from Africa. Um, there was a big Native American population and there was quite a lot of people who were uh, had families who were, you know, Mexican parents or, mm-hmm. you know, Latino descent. Uh, but for the most part, it was it was super white. There wasn't a lot of diversity. I remember moving to California after college and meeting uh, someone who was Jewish and was like, you're my first Jew. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen one outside of like a history book. <laughs> like, oh my God. you know, pretty, pretty remote like that. Um, you know, my parents, uh, my dad was a high school teacher. Uh, my mom was a librarian. Uh, I I played sports and stuff in high school so I mean I was awkward and nerdy everyone was I was like a band kid but also a jock so I like towed a weird line nice. yeah you know watched watched like uh you know a lot of Monty Python <laughs> but you know also ran a lot of sports and did like ASB and stuff so cool. one, of, one of those weird hybrid kids I guess you did advertising in college and went straight into internship so I went to high school and then went to undergrad and while I was an undergrad I was t- I don't even remember what class it was but mm-hmm. I photoshopped something like I had photoshop in high school might yeah. have even had photoshop in middle school it was like photoshop one Ooh. but I but I had it <laughs> and my parents were always pretty good about like I would say keeping me busy it was like yeah. a very probably annoying kid mm. to keep me busy but like I took computer classes and stuff like as a small kid on like a Mac my mom had me do like design stuff and I think now it was my dad's always been computer terrible with computers yeah 
uh, I think it was so I could like help him with his pranks. Like, <laughs> you know, he couldn't figure it out, but he was like, you know, if, if you know this design stuff. So I remember like maybe third grade, I took like, I'd figured out clip art at this point and had taken a couple of small design classes. Yeah. He didn't care for this woman on the school board. <laughs> I can't remember what her name was. Like he had me like design a wine label with like barbed wire and it was like Anne Von Secor sour grapes wine <laughs> with like terrible scripty font that was like wow. the default mm-hmm. chancery or whatever was on a Mac in 1990 uh, to like hand out as like a protest in a student's like school board meeting or something. <laughs> and then like when I was in high school, I remember, yeah, I had, it must've been like Photoshop one or two. He, he, my dad taught at a rival high school, Mm -hmm. which like also is its own bag of worms for my therapist that they're still trying to unpack. (laughs) But like, uh, when his teaching group made like the, the read posters, I don't know if you remember those, Yeah, like a celebrity in their favorite book and a picture. So they did it at like the high school level. Like here's the teacher's favorite books. And this, he was having some conflict with an administrator. I, if I remember correctly, this like assistant principal or something like changed someone's grade and my dad wasn't happy about that so he had me <laughs> photoshop that guy that administrator and change the book he was reading to like Machiavelli <sighs> or something <laughs> put it in like some of the other teachers mailboxes at school and it got distributed and like I think the guy knew my dad was probably behind it but like <laughs> my dad's so terrible at computers there's no way he could have photoshopped anything yeah <laughs> yeah Getting a sense now of the <laughs> activism and where yeah, that scene yeah. came from a little bit. Uh, where does oh comedy come into this? Was Were you the entertainer in class? Was that something that was always part of who you were? Was yeah. it because of your dad's jokes? Yeah, my dad is <laughs> so good with the dad jokes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've always, I've always admired comedy and stand-ups. I think, like, I, I've always wanted to be that quick, mm-hmm. I think. I've always wanted, to, I've always tried to, to be faster and wittier you know I think especially when you're in high school like things are somebody's throwing barbs at you like Mm -hmm. a lot of people it can make you recede into yourself Mm -hmm. and I was like well if I can outwit you or say something that's a little harsher is like a good deflection method for like I mean teenagers are mean to each other in general right yeah I probably was mean to someone sorry (laughs) I don't remember I know I pulled Kimber Bear's chair out from underneath her first day in school she's I officiated is she okay okay good forget it (laughs) but I yeah I mean for the most part I think it was just trying to get quicker and faster and then I met a couple of friends in Los Angeles when I was living there and when I was in Colorado and I was like I think I could give this a, a try yeah and you don't you don't know that you, there's things I think when you you're like oh that could be funny and you don't really know until you you give it a, a go so I think for most people that would just terrify the life out of them I know uh, two things you've said is you've never met a mic that you don't like and you're born without that fear gene incredible yeah <laughs> <laughs> like I love talking I yeah I do I think people don't laugh at me all the time so like if you go to a mic and you bomb it's like oh whatever you yeah know, like people don't laugh all the time so why not comedy as your full-time career why choose advertising or was there <laughs> ever even this? a choice well I want to be able to make money enough to eat food good so, important I mean like even in important tea. Yeah, yeah I think LA like the most I ever made in LA was like a couple of free PBRs nice and so it's like I think with comedy you're either like if you're performing comedy to be financially supporting yourself 
yourself, you yeah. have to have a second job. Yeah. Unless you're like, I don't, who's he, like Chris Rock, right? Or yeah. someone who's selling out Madison Square Garden, Amy Schumer, right? Like, yeah. They can support themselves on comedy alone, but they do like writing on the side. Yeah. Like, comedy friends in LA do all the things but comedy during the day. You know, yeah. They work tech jobs. They work in advertising. They work in retail. They A girl I know, Sophia Alexander, if you guys don't follow her on Twitter, you should. She's mm-hmm. wonderful. She, for a while, was, was helping Google's bot cleanse out like child pornography because she's an immigrant and spoke Russian. Anyone that knows you, Sarah, knows how hard you work. And but if you don't, she's very hard working. She and <laughs> talented as hell. But so many women work really hard in this industry and are really talented. What has gotten you here? You've broken through to the sea level. Yeah. And uh, as a woman, that's not a common occurrence. I've never, I've never been good at hearing like no. Like, and I'm very mm-hmm. like kind of like a relentless bulldozer. I was fortunate in college, like, don't remember what class it was, but I photoshopped something and my teacher was like, oh, you can do advertising and you can photoshop for a living. And I was like, oh, I just didn't even consider that. Yeah. So then he he gave me like a flyer for ad school and I like read it and was like, oh yeah, I don't want to be an undergrad. I want to go do this. And like called my mom and was like, I'm going to go to ad school. I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to get a degree. And she was like, the fuck you are. <laughs> but like in her nice librarian no. voice. <laughs> so I, I just finished college as quickly as I could. I yeah. got out of there when I was 20 and moved to San Francisco and just kind of figured it out. My first job in the industry was at AKQA. There wasn't mm-hmm. a ton of women but the, the agency at that time was run by Ray Nomoto and PJ Pereira who mm-hmm. were both immigrants mm-hmm. um, and people of color so the, the group I was with was very diverse yeah. it was mostly men uh, but very diverse Yeah, the, some of the hardest working you know just pushed you always to be better mm-hmm. um, so that was kind of like design art direction boot camp there was mm-hmm. this guy like Akira Takahashi was the, the harshest critic in the nicest Japanese way yeah. um, Ray always said your work he never gave anyone an A it was always a B plus <gasps> so you're always striving just Woof. we all knew we were never going to get an A yeah. but like that's how but maybe did. one day but maybe one maybe day maybe one day and then by the time so it went from there to Crispin and that's where I started to meet like some women mm-hmm. who were in more creative leadership roles. Tiffany Rolfe in particular, who mm-hmm. ran the Old Navy account, uh, is just like a fucking badass. She's now yeah. like CCO of RGA North America. She's the hardest okay. worker I've ever seen. She was like the Terminator. She just like <laughs> never stopped. Really supportive. I mean, people probably would call her like a hard ass or some negative words for that, but mm-hmm. I just saw her as someone always striving to make things better, mm-hmm. and I don't think you can ever be upset for that. Like If, mm. if it's for the sake of the work to make it better and she always took time for me if I was like hey why didn't this yeah. work out yeah or why did why did this go forward and not this work you know kind of like in a bitchy 20 something like entitled like I thought my thing was better <laughs> you know she would take me out for some beers and she would walk it explain the creative process and I always really valued that about her yeah um and then she brought on this woman named Robin Fitzgerald who was who's been all over she she's currently the CCO of BBDO Atlanta mm-hmm. who is one of the nicest humans I've ever encountered in the whole industry super supportive really smart she's like what i would love to be yeah it mm. just seems like nothing really rattles her like yeah. grounded and sweet and she's comes from a writing background and just great writer so she was like a i don't know if it was a gcd or a cd sorry robin it's been a while but at crispin <laughs> when i was there too so they were kind of the only two women though when mm-hmm. i was there uh working on old navy who were like in that position for the most part there might have been a couple acd cd levels but in that senior level who were women and i really 
glommed on to them and they yeah they just made me better and that that was great but lots of lots of men too like Rob Riley who's at McCann mm-hmm. He, like, God, talk about, like, a perfectionist and a hard worker. Like, 3 a.m., always like, you could have done better. Why did we get to this point? If you had made better choices creatively along, along the way, we we wouldn't be here at 3 a.m. Just, like, mm. making you think about things. Like, am yeah. I doing this with purpose? Am I just reacting to something? Like, su- that guy to this day is still super supportive of me and, and yeah. awesome. How do you think that shapes, like, I guess you as a leader and how you have people reporting to you now? Like, do you think that you've grown from those people? and how they've done it is that your way or do you have like your own certain Sarah kick ass like this is how I'm gonna manage and, and help people I mean god help me if we get to something at three in the morning <laughs> yeah. oh no 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 I'm a real zombie at 3 a.m <laughs> uh, yeah I mean Crispin in like you know 2000 nine to 2012 even before that yeah. Crispin was like a workhorse so yeah kind of a zoo I think I tried to learn like about decision making from them yeah to, to be better I also learned like yeah I was probably really annoying when I was younger so I try not to get mad at people when they're <laughs> asking questions yeah. <laughs> like they're just trying to learn yeah you know? I think like a cup there's some things like along the way it hasn't always been smooth like yeah I think I've learned more about what kind of person I don't want to be yeah so if I find myself falling into some of those things like a you know attacking people without giving them a way to build themselves back up yeah or like attacking the person and not the work yeah those are some things I try not to do like if you make it about the work then it kind of can't ever be personal I think those those kind of things I mean as far as like being a woman and there not being that many women there's just yeah I don't know that feels like a, a problem I don't like, we got to get to people when they're like in middle school yeah. Like, like I said, I got lucky I got into design and computer stuff young because my parents helped me out there. Yeah. It's similar with comedy, which is like the other thing is I feel like if you're a woman in this industry, you have to try to kill it because if there's only one or two of you and mm-hmm. one of us is bad, then 50% of us are bad. Yeah. So it's like, I feel, you know, women, when female comics go on stage and if they bomb, then they're the only one in the lineup. People go, oh, women are funny. Yeah. And you're like, that's so unfair, but it's just it's the reality of it so it's it's an unfair hurdle but I never thought of myself as like a, a woman in a, in this creative industry I was just like I knew what I wanted to do and went for that goal yeah mm. and just clawed for it and fought for it I got in really young I you know my first AKQA took a chance on me when I was like before I turned 22 yeah so, <laughs> so, so young for so many beers oh my so. god so many beers yeah I mean they they were awesome with that yeah so I think in addition to the other people I mentioned uh my partner George Jordan Shoto. Um, I, I physically wouldn't be here without her. I, you know, I, when I moved to New York, it was by accident. I was staying with her, and my flight back to the West Coast got canceled. There was a snowstorm, um, and then she she had just found out that she was pregnant with her first kid and was working at an agency uh, called Mother, and you know, was working very hard there, and sort of was like, oh, I don't know if I can be pregnant and keep up mm. balance of work and life, and for her own physical health. So she said, "You're freelance. Do you want to stick around and try teaming up again?" Um, and I was like, sure. And then it was April. And she was like, you got to get out of my guest room because it's turning into a baby nursery. Um, she was like, just move here. Buy, <laughs> buy some socks and move here. And I, she kind of bullied me into it. But I met Jordan. Uh, we went to ad school together in San Francisco. So I've known her 
forever um, since I had a fake ID. <laughs> I've known Jordan, and she uh, she's really inspiring. I, I I could do my job without Jordan. I wouldn't be doing it as well without Jordan. I think she's one of like the smartest people uh, I know. She knows how to talk to people in the most human way. She breaks down I think very complicated things into a very succinct conversational way. You know has kind of, I don't know, has an interesting, has had had some interesting things happen to her in her life. You know, she's a mom, she's pregnant with her third, uh, but is one of the first people to admit, like, she does not have it all, like, doesn't have it figured out. I think there's a lot of strive for perfection, especially in our industry, work-life balance, and, you know, she definitely, we'll get back online later, but is, is always trying to find that balance and talks about how hard it is. Is is willing to admit that it's hard, which is something I really admire in her. The peer relationship in advertising in particular is something that's long-standing. And uh, many people speak about their work husband or their work wife in your your creative partner. We look for something in others that we feel that we lack in ourselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so with that completeness, then something is able to flourish that maybe by yourself you can't attain. What is it with Jordan that makes you two work as a partnership? I think we're we're not afraid to be honest with each other. There's we don't we definitely don't pussyfoot around things, you know. We're willing to like butt heads and fight about the work and sometimes in front of people and I think it can make people uncomfortable but there's no there's always no hard feelings right it's it's trying to make the work better and we're both very opinionated we're both very loud and very alpha in our own ways um, but I think come from completely different perspectives on things so I you know I, I really I value it and I, I sometimes want to make things like too funny or too lofty or whatever and mm-hmm. she's holds the brief really near and dear she married a fucking strategist so that is so important to her so I think like she's really looking for that to make the work bulletproof for a client for a consumer where I maybe kind of like want to wander off into the woods a bit and make my own like art projects (laughs) and she she holds me back to reality and accountable which I definitely need as someone who's got a deep awareness of social and racial issues, mm-hmm. and you've spoken a lot uh, in our conversation so far about diversity, how does this play into your day-to-day professional life? Is it difficult to hire a diverse team today? I think it is, and I, I wish it were. I wish it were easier. And it's kind mm-hmm. of what I was saying earlier. It's like there. There's just not that, like, the scale, the sheer numbers of people tend to be a certain demographic, which happens to be, yeah. in my in my focus group of jobs over the years, mm-hmm. is a white dude. White dudes are in advertising, and they're good at it. And, yeah. like, I, I'm not going to fault them for that. I think, I've talked with you, Shun, a bit about, like, Jordan and I especially ran into this when we were freelancing for a number of years before we came to Forsman, mm-hmm. people would write us emails and be like, hey, we want a chick creative director team. Even if the account is yogurt or diapers or whatever, yeah. it just, it we always, it always rubbed us the wrong way immediately yeah. because like we know that we're, uh, sure, we're a rare commodity, mm-hmm. but it's weird to be treated of something because of what you are instead of the job. And it feels like the one thing should be like, what's your creative capability? What's your talent level? What's your desire? What's kind of work you want? to do mm-hmm. um so one of the things i'm always looking for is the and not the because yeah. So i want to hire someone who's a great creative and they happen to be a woman right mm-hmm. or and they happen to be a person of color and that can help expand their worldview and who the people we can talk to and our you know with our marketing and our reach not because i would never hire someone just be 
because they're a woman, which I think a lot of the time, like, just gets, it just gets, and then it gets tricky, too. It's like, do I like this person because, you know, we've been trying to diversify as we're hiring here at Forsman. Yeah. That's always something I'm looking for. And it's like, oh, man, I just don't want to hire just this person because, right? Like, of course. Yeah. I want their book. But then you're like, man, am I just, am I not giving them the shot? Mm-hmm. Like, do they have the potential? But yeah. this person's book is better. And it's just, it's a really tricky, tough place to be in. I think, I, I was talking to my friend Courtney Bowditch, who's who's over at Co Collective. She worked with me at Crispin. She's worked with Tiffany Rolfe a lot, too. And I was telling her the struggle. And she was like, you just got to get the agency in a really good creative place. Mm-hmm. And then the people will come. And like, when you have the more business to hire more people, then you can take chances on some people. Yeah. And I don't think it really hit me until I was at, at Crispin just how much I inherently was trying to cast people who I was quote unquote comfortable with, mm-hmm. which was like a reflection back on me. Meaning like I would go into casting rooms and I would, I was looking for white people basically, like uh, not intentionally, but I don't think I was aware of it. And then I had a client, amazing client named Brent Mitchell, who was like, hey, we got to get away from this like cookie cutter ethnocentric family. Old Navy, our client was very brave and really empowering for creative at this point and made a lot of work. And made me a lot better and he said our company makes clothes for America and for Mexico and when we cast people America is not white we need to broaden out who we're talking to so that we include more people Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't give a shit. He's like, we are here for modern families, you know, when sometimes it would, you know, we'd have someone who was of Asian descent playing a dad, you know, a redhead playing a mom. And then you'd have a, a kid who was black and then another kid who maybe was like Latinx. And a lot of the times he'd be like, yeah, those are the best cast for this. He's like, who gives a fuck? Like yeah. families look different, you know, inherently like everyone. So we get comments on YouTube, like whose kids are those? Yeah. You know, and I, <laughs> which kind, I think we'd say that sometimes people were like oh you know but whatever like families look different and he always pushed us for diversity because his audience was diverse Mm. and he knew the people buying his product needed to see themselves reflected back upon them Mm. it was something i didn't realize i was doing now it like has opened up to how i cast and how i i work because i'm thinking of a broader audience and that takes some growing that takes some distance away from like where you grew up right and your small wherever that small town is or that small community Mm-hmm. Um, it takes time away from that and experiencing and seeing new people and learning new things. And I, you know, I don't think that I'm perfect by any means. And I don't know if we'll get there ever fully. Mm. But like, I think trying is the important part and trying to make it better and trying to improve and always pushing for that. Some clients are braver than others. Old Navy was a, a very brave client and, mm-hmm. you know, had a had a good had a good sense of who their who their clientele was. Some clients are less brave. Right. And you kind of have to bully them into it every once in a while or make them say what they don't like and maybe hold that mirror up so they're like, when you're saying these things, what are you really saying? And make them look inward a little bit, Mm -hmm. which I've had, you know, I had a will not be named beverage client who wanted the target to be urban. I'm doing air quotes. Right. Um, and so when we were in casting and fit, you know, we, we cast a black guy and he was great. Uh, our wardrobe stylists were both black. You know, we filmed in Silver Lake or Echo Park, somewhere hipstery in LA. Yeah. They dressed him to look really cool. And our client who was, you know, a white guy from the suburbs of Jersey who wears like the Patagonia vest mm-hmm. and the khakis and the loafers was like, he doesn't look urban enough. I was like, well, then you need to explain to the stylists and you need to hear their reasoning for dressing. And I think when you make people verbalize 
realize that, they yeah. start to hear how stupid they sound. Yeah. And then trust the people who are there for a reason, right? Yeah. Like, you hire these people for their opinion because they represent the people you're trying to speak to. Mm. So then don't try to inject your own bias about what people should look like or dress like or sound like or roles they should play based on that. Like, let these people who are them tell you how they would dress yeah. and look and talk. That makes sense. Yeah. When people think about the job of a group creative director, maybe it's not immediately obvious that psychologist is, <laughs> is a big <laughs> part of the role. Yeah. And just being able to, to understand, I suppose, to understand people's fears, how we all put people in a box. And I think with regard to coming from a, a, a smaller community and albeit a less diverse community, also reflects on your solidness as a person. When your fears are not overtaking you, you have the openness to take on new things, take on unfamiliar terrain. And that's something that I love about you. So I'm going to segue into another great quote I read on Instagram. Uh, this one's from the 2018 Nobel Peace Prize laureate Nadia Murad. And she says, with the voice and participation of women, we can make fundamental changes in our communities. In your work community, what are the changes that you want to see? I think there's some things that in like in my tenure growing up that that may be uncomfortable and I didn't maybe speak up about because mm -hmm. of the position I felt I was in. So I would love to make people maybe feel more comfortable as mm -hmm. a whole. I think people do their best work when they're comfortable, mm -hmm. um, when they feel like they can take risks. I'm not saying work shouldn't make people uncomfortable, like the creative output of it. Yeah. Um, but I think if you are not comfortable with the people around you to take bigger chances or present ideas, at the end of the day, yes, we're selling stuff, but creative process is a sensi sensitive personal process. So, I, you know, I try to hold, I try to hold people accountable or be like, you know, hey man, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. Try to help shape the tone a little bit. I've had a couple of conversations with male counterparts who, you know, their whole careers have been, you know, handsome, charming, charismatic, and been rewarded for that behavior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they crossed a certain age threshold and they're not doing anything they haven't been rewarded for or anything different. But then I'm in the bathroom and someone's like that guy's creepy mm, yeah so I have to be like man you crossed to the creepy line yeah you yeah can't say that. <laughs> I'm just trying to help shape it right because mm -hmm. it's not a lot of the time I don't think it's coming from an intentional place but I think yeah just trying to build a place that's not toxic and hostile mm -hmm. but I think if you do that and make people comfortable that that's a way to, to get better work or at least people to take bigger risks with yeah. the work. so you've spoken a lot about what you look for in people and uh, the amount of effort that you put in into your work. What do you do to to replenish yourself? What do you do for fun? You spend a lot of time at work. What's left behind that's essential to you? Uh, yeah, I spend a lot of time at work. <laughs> or, or, we, at or at home. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, working. I don't do open mics as much as I would like to. Mm -hmm. You know, in LA, that was, I had a better work life balance because it was freelance yeah. mm -hmm. and I was really ingrained in that community. Here, every, it's like I do an open mic maybe once a month here, but I still like to go do that and try out new stuff and yeah. talk to a room full of strangers. <laughs> I'm really, I play a lot of Xbox. <laughs> What's your favorite game? Well, I mean, I just like beat the fuck out of Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes. Ah, yes, yes, ago. yes. Like, you know, it's really fun. 
Um, no, but I, you know, it's all the same things that people do. It's like yeah. go to art shows and movies. You know, Avengers recently. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> you know, bands, all of all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I like to have people with me. Like I'm not really an yeah. introvert. I'm one of those like let's all get together and do whatever mm. this thing is, party or yeah, go to a movie or whatever. Yeah. Our final question is is around insights that you'd like to share, particularly to help women or disenfranchised to rise through their personal development. I know it's a big one, but just give us a quick rundown of what you're thinking about. The basics of a portfolio, mm-hmm. how they present themselves in an interview. I mean, when I, when I go to hire someone, from an art director standpoint, I'm looking at craft. It's silly because like so much of our stuff is video or social, but yeah. the basics I look for is like, is your is your type kerned well? Yeah. Is mm. the font hideous? <laughs> is it is it good? You know, I'm trying to look at like the base level building block choices of an art director. Like what yeah. kind of photography have you chosen? I know a lot of the time you haven't picked it as a student, you're using swipe, trying to make sure it looks authentic to a brand or fits. So I'm looking for those kind of key things. The other thing a lot is attitude. I'd rather work with someone who maybe doesn't get it right away, but is like, yep, yep, okay, and takes direction and mm-hmm. doesn't let that browbeat them than somebody who nails it the first time but is a dick. That's a, a tricky tipping point because many interview candidates feel I've, I've got to convey my own voice because I want to be remembered, I want to stand out, and I want to self-identify. But then it's easy to fall in into that, okay, I'm young, I know nothing, and this person is is painful, really. (laughs) (laughs) So so what do you what do you look for in, in just as a when you interview somebody on a human level? I mean, I, I just want to make sure the lights are on, right? Yeah. Like, are yeah. you are you processing what I'm saying? Are yeah. you because especially with students, sometimes like I'll look at a lot of student books every once in a while. You know, like people email me or to, you know I've met with a couple in person and you're talking to them and it's like they're looking at you, but I'm like you're not registering what I'm saying. Mm. I know that what I'm saying is like getting through. Yeah. So that's what I mean about maybe it's not <laughs> attitude. It's just like the way wherewithal to take the information process it in a thoughtful manner yeah uh, yeah attitude is huge and it's funny because I've that's something I've always been chastised for my whole career is maybe being difficult or whatever but I think it's always in the, the purpose of getting the best work mm-hmm. I guess my advice too is like I can speak for women it's hard for me to speak for people of color because I wear SPF 70 every day you gotta protect that skin though it's um, important but I think like don't give up and there will be a place for you Mm-hmm. And I think if you're at a current place and you're feeling, I, I think there's a point where you turn toxic mm-hmm. in a place. Like yeah. if you're not happy, yeah. you physically, the place is toxic to you and it means it's time to go. Like mm. if you're like, I don't want to get up and go there in the morning or I don't want to deal with this. Or if you're, if you find yourself saying, I hate this person or I hate this and yeah. you mean it, then cut and be done. Like, yeah. You'll figure out the money thing. You will. I know people think they that you won't, and it's yeah. scary, especially when you're starting career. I guarantee you, you will. But it's 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 better just to cut out the toxic places, and you'll find a place that fits for you, or f- you'll find the people who are there to, who who get you. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's weird. I'm looking for someone who's got that spark that maybe I had. So it's like, oh, do I relate to you on that level? Yeah. And I'm like, I can work with that because I know that because it's a little bit of me. Yeah. Regardless of who that person is. Um, so you just got to find the people who have a little bit of you. Mm-hmm. It might be a little bit different, you know? Um, I like that a lot. <laughs> that was great ass advice. <laughs> um, what makes you 
happy in your work and what are you looking forward to do in the next phase of work? Oh, that's a, I think that's a really good question. Good question, Shun. The goal for me is everybody should be rallying around the work. Mm-hmm. And I think if you find an agency or a shop of people, that's my end goal, right? Like, mm-hmm. I want to make good creative work and I can't do it alone. Yeah. Like, I don't have that ego and I don't have that wide of a skill set. So you need everyone around you who is as excited about the work as you are. From your strategists writing you a brief, and they're excited about the work and the potential of what it could be, to your account people yeah. who don't say no, mm-hmm. who ask the right questions and get excited about the work themselves. Like, mm-hmm. every, everyone, to production, to UX, to, to everybody's got to be excited about the work. And I think part of that comes from personalities, like no one having ulterior motives. I think some agencies I've been at, you know, people maybe want to be client side and they're trying to take moves because they want to end up being the client. Mm-hmm. Or some people are personal and, and precious about it and they've like kind of like Gollum with the ring, you know, like ducked mm, over with yeah. it. The work is fragile and needs everybody's help and shepherding. I think if somebody starts throwing salt on it or whatever, I get yeah. a little bit prickly. I mean, right now, World of Hyatt, one of our clients, I have huge ambitions for them. Mm-hmm. It's it's travel, but it's not just travel, right? Like, it's more about, like, leisure and care as a whole. Like, they're expanding out beyond hotels. I have huge ambitions for that client. They're really nice. I really want to help streamline their internal process, which is going to take a little bit of work. But, yeah, I think in the hotel travel game, they're an underdog. They're smaller. Mm-hmm. They're kind of, they have the smaller footprint compared to, like, a Marriott mm, yeah. um, or even a Hilton. So, so, you know, I have huge ambitions for them as like an underdog. I would love to get them on the map more. I'd love to, yeah. do, to do some really groundbreaking work for them that doesn't feel like travel wallpaper. Anything that doesn't feel like wallpaper is good. Anything my dad sees on TV <laughs> that like he actually likes. He keeps asking if I make Geico ads. I've I never really made love, one. So love I, that Geico ad. Sarah, did you Martin make it? agency has been killing it for 20 years. <laughs> I've never gotten to make one. Maybe one day. One day. Yeah. Sarah Buckholz, <laughs> thank you so much for being our inaugural guest. It's a real pleasure. This podcast is called Your Turn Stories and you're most definitely taking your turn and for that we're grateful thank you yeah